It is good to be with you today as uh, we begin the new year together. We begin a new sermon series together, learning to parent like our Heavenly Father. Now, uh, my hopes is uh, as we look at this together that for those of you that aren't actively parenting right now, though sometimes you even have to parent your adult children, I know, uh, <laughs> that, that you could still grow to see how God our Father works in our life in our relationship with him as our Heavenly Father and us being his child. But I hope you'll also take this opportunity to find uh, parents out there, friends, family, neighbors, who you can invite either to listen online or even better to join us as we go through this series together. But as I thought about doing this series, um, kind of a, a preliminary message seemed like it needed to happen seemed most appropriate and so what we're doing today is a prequel you know some of you know the star wars first three movies were prequels well this is going to be a prequel really to the rest of the series that we'll look at next week and this morning we're looking at the question why call god father it gets to the very basics of our faith the very root of our faith and, and to be honest it's a lot of head stuff i know but i'll try to make it as clear as i can and help show what I share with you today, why it's important for us. So we begin uh, the, the message together. Let's read, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, starting in the 27th verse. As God has created the heavens and the earth across six days, we get to the pinnacle of the sixth day and the pinnacle of God's creation. And this is what we hear. So God created humanity, or mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then down in verse 31, he goes on and says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Pray for me. Lord Jesus, help me um, and help us wrestle with who you are what that means for our lives what that means for how we love you and how we love others so i pray for your help on a difficult topic so lord let your spirit be at work in and through me and among us i pray in jesus name amen why do we call god father well first off because Jesus taught us that it was appropriate to call God Father. In the Lord's Prayer we just prayed, you know, it says, uh, pray to God who is your Heavenly Father. Holy is His name. And so, you know, a lot of us would say, well, Jesus said it, the Bible says it, therefore we believe it and we do it. The problem is, brothers and sisters, is in our modern culture today, more and more people are skeptical about the idea of God being Father, and that that is a good thing. 
And so as a result, I want to take a deeper look. Why do we call God Father besides Jesus telling us to? And also, how does that impact how we treat one another? And so as we look at this a, a little deeper, I think the first part, and I, I may have said this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, but for some of us, um, we just we don't have a good picture of fatherhood. Maybe we never really have. Maybe there are a few people who think, you know, every guy that they've met has disappointed them or frustrated them or failed them in some way. And so for a person in that situation to call God Father is often a very hard thing. For someone maybe who grew up without a dad, maybe grew up uh, being uh, raised by a grandmother or a ma, single mom, it's a very difficult thing to even know what a good father ought to look like because they've never experienced a good father. For others, maybe they had a dad who is highly dysfunctional, maybe even abusive, and uh, hurt them or was violent toward them or their family in some way, and just a horrendous model of what loving, good fatherhood might look like. And so I get it for some of us being able to call God Father is a very difficult thing. And so as a result, some pastors have shared an option that you maybe just call God your heavenly parent. And if that gives you a little better feeling of for who God is, then that's okay. Now, I still like the term father myself because uh, I, I did have a, a good dad that was around. I still like the term fatherhood especially just because I think it conveys more of an intimate relational feel than parenthood or parents do. To me, parents is just such a generic kind of term. There's not a lot of affection or intimacy or love that, that necessarily goes with that term. And so for me, I still like the term father, and I hope those that maybe have grown up without strong fathers or good fathers, I hope for you that that you could find some way to find the ideal goodness, ideal love, ideal shepherding, ideal care and provision, and, and you could begin to piece together what a good father might look like, even though maybe you have not experienced it much in your own life. But for many folks, that's a hard thing indeed. And so in addition to that, the second thing I want us to kind of look at is this. When you think about God, what image comes to mind? When you think about God, what image comes to mind? I don't know about you. I, you know, to me, comes to mind something similar to what's in the Sistine Chapel, right? There, God, the, the Father, is a white old guy with white beard and white hair reaching in compassion to touch his human creation. And as beautiful and as awesome as that is, it's not biblical. It's not true. And so I want us to take a deeper look of what we mean by God and who God is. Because sometimes the words we use to talk about God, which are finite, trying to describe one who is infinite, 
you know, God's just bigger than that. And then we'll see it's a very critical issue in our day and our age because in a similar way, there are people when you begin to talk about God being an old white guy with a beard who's kind of mean and mad at everybody all the time, that, that there are a lot of people out there who are like, well, if that's who God is, if he's some old white guy, I'm not interested. And if they're not interested, the sad part is they're not interested because they don't know what we really believe. And it's important in terms of who we are and how we act and how we live. And so to help us with this, uh, I'm bringing out our book of discipline, our, our rules as United Methodists. And in our rules as United Methodists, uh, we have statements of faith. Uh, one statement of faith, the Methodist statement of faith that Wesley put together, went back even before that into the Anglican Church. So this teaching goes back several, three, four hundred, five hundred years. And then we also have the United Brethren Confession of Faith, which is where we get our United name. And in their Confession of Faith, maybe it's only 200 years, but they've also got some key insights. And I want to share with you, when they talk about God in here, I want you to take note of a couple of things. Here's what it says on Faith in the Holy Trinity, Article 1. But there is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible, in the unity of the Godhead. There are three persons, one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then I want to read a little bit from our United Brethren Heritage. Article 1 on God says this, We believe in one true God, holy and living God, eternal spirit, who is creator, sovereign, and preserver of all things visible and invisible. You know, when Jesus talked about God, I think of the story of when he met that Samaritan woman at the well. You remember that story? Now, now remember, the Samaritan woman was an outsider. She was on the wrong side of the fence. She talked the wrong language. She had probably the wrong skin color. She was on the wrong side of the fence. And even those in her community, she was on the wrong side of the fence. She was as far from God as anyone in Jesus' neighborhood. And so she's talking about can, who can worship God and where. Jesus is talking about who can worship God and where. Do you remember what Jesus told her? You see, he said, God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship him in spirit and, and in truth because those are the worshipers that God the Father seeks. So here Jesus states for us that God does not have a body or parts like our doctrine just shares, but God is spirit. And what Jesus, I think, was saying that day is, listen, God is not just a Jewish God. God's a God who includes his love for you an outsider, an outcast, who even your own community knows has messed up so many times that they think you don't deserve any chance or hope or future. God describes, Jesus describes his Father as one who is in spirit and truth. You say, Chris, okay, great. Why is that important? 
Well, because we tend to, in our thinking and our living and our behaving, we tend to make God white, male, and an old guy. But God doesn't have a body. As our teaching tells us uh, from our discipline, he doesn't have any parts, so he is not a guy. God is not a dude. God is beyond dude and includes both male and female in some way, shape, or form. Well, you say, well, Chris, why do we, when we talk about God, we talk about God as a he. Why do we call him father? Why did Jesus teach us all that? If God is outside of gender and outside of all that and bigger than all that, why that certain language? And so that's something that theologians have been wrestling with for a long time, and I'm going to try to give you just a snapshot perhaps to help you out. One is uh, when we talk about someone with a pronoun, whether it's Hebrew or English, you've got three primary choices. He, it, or she. Those are your three choices of pronouns, right? You can't, can anybody think of any others? Those are the three. I, we don't use it. It is for rocks and trees and maybe animals that aren't pets. But once an animal becomes a pet, they become a friend. Once they become a friend, they become a family. And then they start becoming he or she because they have a name. Brothers and sisters, God has a name. That name was so holy that the Jewish people wouldn't even say it. But in that name, it resides the idea that God is personal and intimate and relational like a father or like a mother. And we can know God through his name. So it clearly, right, doesn't work. So that leaves he or she. Now, the, the writers of Scripture could have chosen she. There were female deities in the ancient world, right? I mean, you probably know some of their names. Aphrodite, Athena, Helena, um, Ashtaroth, which is one that tripped up the Jewish people a lot, Isis in Egypt. There were all these female deities in the ancient world. They could have gone that direction. So we have to ask the question, why? And as theologians have asked that question, many have come to the conclusion the reason why we didn't, the Bible didn't go that direction is for this case. Because the image that comes when you have a female deity that, that brings the universe to life, you're going to visualize that how probably a lot like childbirth, right? That God would birth the universe, so to speak. And the theological problem with that is that it can lead to a, a, a thing called pantheism. Pantheism is a fancy word that means we begin to think of God and the world as one and the same deal. So that the rocks outside are God, and the trees are God, and the sun is God, and the moon's God, and people are God, and everything, everything in this universe is God. And as the Israelites wrestled with theological issues, they said, that is not true. Instead of pantheism, they visualized God as transcendent of creation. That word transcendence means God is over creation, above creation, outside of creation, but then can still intervene and communicate and be present and work in creation. 
but they are still two separate things. If we didn't have a universe, we would still have a creator who exists and who lives and reigns forever, and he would be whole in and of himself without being part of the world. We see this type of thinking in, uh, oh, what is it, the New Age movement, right? The New Age movement, we want to get God out of the crystals, or God out of this, or God out of that. And that was not biblical thinking because it puts God in a box. Now, if you're not sure about this, again, let's look at the Lord's Prayer, right? God says, I mean, Jesus said, told us, pray to our Father who, what? Art in, where? Heaven. Heaven, the place above God's creation. And then he goes on and says, Hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. Holy is that, that word of separation, of distinction, of, of being holy other. So twice Jesus points us and says, God our Father is transcendent above his creation. And so that's language that, uh, that the early writers of scripture uh, did not want to portray they didn't want to portray this idea that god gave birth to a universe because that would lead to pantheistic consequences a second reason though it, that they could have chosen is in their ancient world the the creation stories that they had all around them it was all about a god battling chaos good battling evil and whichever one won, either we'd end up with a universe or we'd end up with chaos and darkness. And that was the prevailing understanding of creation in the ancient world. And again, the early Israelites didn't go there. This is not good being equal with bad and we'll see who dukes it out and wins the fight. No. When we read our scripture about how God created the universe, how does it go? And God said, and there was, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was. Let there be sky and sea, and there was. Let there be dry land, and there was. Let there be animals crawl on the ground, and trees, and plants, and fish, and birds, and there was. Let there be mankind made in our image, and there was. You see, the clear picture of creation is a creator who is transcendent over the creation in complete control of the process all God has got to do is say it and it comes to be and so for instance that has been why in general the only third option for talking about God if it's not going to be it or she would be he but if he is not about God being a male, it's just kind of our third option. To kind of talk a little more, I'm, I'm going to use the help of Tom Oden. I don't know if you know of Tom Oden. He's been one of the greatest gifts to the Methodist Church in the last hundred years. He died a few years ago, but he wrote systematic theology that we got to study while we were in seminary. He was a great voice for classical Christian belief. And in his opening to his uh, theology, uh, books on systematic theology. I want to read for you how he wrestles with these questions. He says this, 
I intend to hold as closely as possible to the classical Christian affirmation that neither of the sexual types, he or she, adequately reflects the fullness of the, di of the divine being that is God. Yet it is not possible to speak in a wholly sexless way of God, giving up all personal pronouns. There are times when the tradition has thought it more fitting to transcend personalization with terms like this, the Holy One of Israel or the Eternal. I am grateful that this pattern is available. That is, there are names we can use about God that have nothing to do with gender. But he says, I, it must not be followed at the price of foregoing all, all personal pronouns since God is frequently viewed through personal metaphors in Scripture. Since naming conveys power, the naming of God normatively or exclusively as he tends to limit the idea of God by human sexual categories. Even when its intent may have been universalistic or generic, the tradition's language has sounded exclusionary to many who regrettably may then too readily dismiss the tradition on the grounds of the language alone before allowing it a reasonable hearing. I can only ask that the reader not prejudge the fairness of classical Christian language without seeking to understand it. So here Tom shares with us that there are some ways to talk about God that has nothing to do with gender. Um, one of the words that I think he encourages that, that he didn't list there is the word thou. Thou is a little more ancient English, and it's a pronoun that we can use about God that has nothing to do with male or female or gender. And so there's value in that, whether it's the Eternal One or the Holy One of Israel or God Almighty. Uh, you've probably heard preachers, especially in the Methodist tradition, who, who have thought through all this kind of stuff in seminary. And you'll probably notice when they talk about God, they use the word God a lot. They don't use he or she. They just say God this, God that, God, God, you know, because that, that's, that's their pronoun is God in an effort to try to help connect with people who would otherwise be offended that we believe God is a guy. So now that we've sort of established all that, you'll notice I do still use he. I, to me, it's just kind of easy but I want you to understand that I see God as spirit, not as gendered, but one who transcends gender. So you say, Chris, okay, that's great. What does this have to do with life and our world and all that? Well, the problem is, is if we begin to think of God as the white American uh, old guy in the sky, it leads to inherent underlying conscious or subconscious prejudice. And that prejudice is heretical to the church of Jesus Christ. For instance, I'll give you a, a, an example um, that I found. Anybody know All in the Family? I bet y'all know Archie Bunker and All in the Family, right? Archie's always saying things that you never know what's going to come out of his mouth, right? Well, here's a, one quote where he talks about his understanding of God which is probably not just true of Archie, but probably true of more in our culture uh, than we would expect. This is what he says. 
in the Bible it says God made man in his own image and he made woman after from a rib a cheaper cut brothers and sisters that's exactly the point let's read again that Genesis chapter 1 text so God created humanity in his own image in the image of God he created what? him? no in his image he created them male and female he created them Brothers and sisters, what this means, the implication here is that both male and female are fully created in the image of God. Glory, hallelujah. There are not first-class guys and second-class women, right? It's in the Scripture. The Israelites understood it thousands of years ago. God made in His image male and female. Both are worthy. Eve was not made from a second cut of a rib. That's a lie. And it's heresy. And it not just affects men and women, brothers and sisters, but this also affects our love for all other people. You see, the image of God has been stamped on every human being that's been created, every human being that has been created, every human being that will be created, and God calls us as his people to love one another, created in the image of God, one with another. And that is so, it's foundational understanding of who God is and who we are and how we relate to each other. And if we get that wrong, we make a mess of things and bring shame to God. Because it not only affects valuing one gender over another it affects skin color back when there were slaves in america guess what there were theologians trying to make the case that black skin color were not as made in the image of god as much as white skin color and that's why they ought to be slaves the church has abused this in the past and sometimes I'm afraid we're abusing it today, and it must end. Because God loves every person on this planet. Every person is stamped with the, the, the image of God, and because of that, every human being has value. Every human being is uh, God loves. Every human being we are to love in Jesus' name, every human being, no matter what language they speak, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the culture they come from, no matter if they're from the Middle East or Latin America or Asia or Africa, it really doesn't matter. If they are a human being, the scripture says they are made in the image of the divine God. If they're struggling with their sexual orientation or struggling with their gender identity, or embracing those things, they're made in the image of God. It does not matter. Because God is a God who stamped his, his image on all of us and calls us all to love one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, and to bless one another for God's glory. And so uh, today, 
I want to encourage you to kind of think about these things uh, and how it has shaped your mind, your heart, and the way you've lived your life. Um, some people would ask, well, can we talk about God, for instance, in a more female kind of way? As I said, the Bible never says God is a mother. That was kind of going too far. Or God is female. That was going too far. But in the scriptures, it does say in several places, even on Jesus' lips, that God who made us is like a mother for us. Have you noticed that? If you look, for example, Isaiah was quite comfortable with this at least twice. One, Isaiah 66, verse 13. He's talking about... Uh, is the Israelites being comforted in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem has been under siege and being destroyed and all these things, but he's, he's giving a hopeful picture that Jerusalem is going to be restored to nurture the people of Israel again. And then he turns to the 13th verse, as a mother comforts her child, so I, that is God, will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. In another area, uh, it talks about how, uh, for instance, in the Psalms, that uh, David says, my relationship with God is so close and so intimate, and I feel so content in where I am in my relationship with God. It's like I'm a baby that's been nursed by my mom, and I am full, and I am satisfied, and I am content in my mother's lap. And that's kind of how my relationship feels with God right now. Again, David was not fearful of imagery and ideas that God can love us like the best mother in the world can love us. And even Jesus, even Jesus, he looked out at Jerusalem that one time from a distance, you remember? And what did he say then? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and you know, turn away and do bad things. I have longed like a mother hen just to gather her chicks under me and just to, to, to love you guys and, and to care for you and to nurture you, and you would not let me do it. Even Jesus had a motherly affection for his people and the people of God in Jerusalem. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, these are lessons that I hope, I hope we can learn. Because there is a very skeptical world. You have skeptical neighbors, skeptical family members, skeptical folks who say, if God is some old white American guy in heaven, I am not interested. And I would say amen. I'm not interested if that's the little box I'm putting my God in either. God is bigger than we can ask or imagine. And if he has created us in his image, male and female, well, that means there's got to be some aspects not only of fatherhood in him, but also femininity and care and compassion in him. And that's a good thing. So, brothers and sisters, today, I want to encourage you, think about who God is and how that plays out in your life and how you treat those around you. How you treat, especially folks like this Hispanic community that's coming to be brothers and sisters in our midst. 
We're called to love them as if they were a part of our very body because they are stamped with the image of the one who loves them and loves us and loves every person on this planet and calls us to be Christ for every person on this planet. I pray you'll listen, and I pray the Lord will lead us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love and goodness today. Um, we thank you for calling us to yourself. And Lord, we so often put you in a box that makes you look exactly like me and exactly like us. Father, forgive us when we do that, for you are much bigger and greater and more awesome and amazing. We thank you that you supersede all gender and that all humanity finds just a sacred picture of your love and being made in your image. So, Father, help us live that out. Help us, like Mother Teresa once said, to see in every person's eyes the eyes and heart and life of Jesus. No matter what color their skin or whether they're a guy or a girl or whatever language is their home language or whatever culture is their home culture, they're stamped at their very core with your love and grace and dignity. And you call us to treat one another with that love and grace and to be a blessing for your glory, to call them into the family of Jesus. So Lord, help us live that out now and always. In Christ's name, amen.